Hi, this is Dr. Jose Salivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. Every week, every week I say every guest is special and every guest is special. I am incredibly blessed and fortunate to know amazing people and have found myself in a position to just come across and meet people that are just phenomenal. Today's guest, today's guest is no different. Today's guest, I met today's guest when I was in college and I was a TA for a program that we did. And uh, we've remained close friends. And really, I think, so I have to say this because I don't think I've ever said, I've, I don't think I've ever told her this. My last year, I stayed, I did my undergrad at Stanford University, stayed a fifth year to do a co-terminal master's degree in education. And I lived in a vegetarian house. It was a co-op. And we had to cook once a quarter. We had to clean. We all had chores, right? And for a Mexican-American teen, teen or young adult from South Texas <laughs> who grew up on like fajitas and botanas and just meat in general, I was not down <laughs> with eating, eating in a vegetarian house. I have nothing against vegetarians. Um, but my friend here, my guest today, was my saving grace my fifth year. I became an eating associate at her house, and so I would pay to go and eat at her with her like dorm or residence. Um, and um, yeah, she kept me going through my last year in college. She was incredibly important to me, and I am forever grateful for her. So I'm gonna. That's my introduction. That's how I know her. I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Um, Eva, do you want to introduce yourself to the podcast? Of course. Um, thank you. That was so sweet. That's really special. Um, definitely a special year. And like, I remember just um, how heartbroken I was at the end. Like I got so used to like having meals and like, you're like my brother. And so at the end I was like, how, how do we not see each other after that? So um, definitely a special time for me. Um, yeah. So my name is Eva Mejia. Um, you did the doctor, so I guess, yeah, I have a doctorate somewhere in them, so technically I hardly ever say Dr. Eva Mejia, but I should. Um, and let's see. Uh, well, I mean, like, who are we talking to here? What, 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 um, who listens to your podcast? And, and I don't know. What kind of stuff do they want to know? <laughs> so a, a couple of years ago, Eva, and I think I told you this, I, I um, started doing some consulting work with a couple of my colleagues. We were, we were finding that it felt like, like the, a lot of the kids that we work with at the university, first year students, there was a huge just information gap. And I, I think obviously I, I'm coming from a position of privilege where I had a lot of key individuals that were able to provide me with information. And it felt like a lot of these, most of these kids, the overwhelming majority had nobody. And, um, and so I have, a, I have a theory, like I've, I've got this model for like college knowledge that I've developed around it, but it, it, we, we wanted to go out get into schools, get into high schools and work with parents to close that gap. It's a different gap from like the gap that I think all of the literature talks about. It's just knowing what to do, how to prepare, how to plan, how to apply the questions to ask and and so, and the, so there's that aspect. The other thing was I was, you know, getting a lot of my students and a lot of young people who felt like 
they were coming in almost with an expectation that they needed to know what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm happy to talk about that one. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, that's really what the podcast is about is, is that there are a lot of our students come in with tunnel vision and like, I'm going to do this. So I need to major in this and this is what I'm supposed to do. And I wanted the podcast to share my, my network and the people that I've met one, because I know so many just badass people like you all are phenomenal and you all are doing amazing things, whether you want to, whether you know it or not. And I'm so proud of the, the people that I know and, and, and so appreciative of this relationship, but I wanted you all to share your stories mm-hmm. because I, I think it's important that they understand that the journey's not linear. Like there are a lot of ups and downs and we have successes and failures and doubts and, you know, we're not sure about the next step or this job or that job. And maybe we're doing something that's not related to our major. And that's okay. At the end of the day, oh that's gosh, okay. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I'm happy to talk about all of that. So that's, that's great. That, that's, that's so special that you're doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank that's, you. That's, that's wonderful. That's what it's for. I wish it was around when I was <laughs> so I'll sort of framed my life. Um, I'll sort of talk sort of pre-college and post-college. Maybe that's a good way to talk about it. Um, and maybe I won't admit to anything that happened and uh, the other things we did during college, but that'll be a nice benefit. No, um, let's see, pre-college. I think it's always important to say that I grew up in Tijuana. I was born and raised in Tijuana and I'm very proud of that. And um, Tijuana is a city that gets a lot of a bad rep, right? And the, the words that come to people's minds, I won't say it, um, but they're not positive, right? And yeah. so it's important for me to, to say that and keep that as part of my story because it is where I was born, where I, where I grew up, literally I thought, you know, I moved to the States in middle school and I was like full grown. So I didn't grow (laughs) anymore in the States. Um, But um, it's like, so one of the things that happened to me when I did middle school in, in San Diego was that um, people are really mean, (laughs) even though San Diego is like on the border. So people really mean about your accent. And so my way of coping was to like be the quiet girl. And, um, and I didn't say any word that I didn't know I could pronounce. And I think I also, now I know linguist wise, like, I think I, I had heard being on the border, I had heard English enough that like Mm -hmm. I could develop the tongue and the ear for it. So I don't have much of an accent, um, which as I've gotten more successful in my career, I've noticed people deleting the Tijuana out of my story or the immigrant out of my story, because it almost feels like people can't, can't deal with that. Right. Like, so some, let me put like some words together that are in my background, right? Like Tijuana, Stanford, Harvard, like people can't, can't manage that. Or so they, they try to like, Oh, you must not really be from Tijuana or you must've grown up really rich. Like you're like Tijuana rich. Right. It's like, none of those (laughs) things are true. Like my family was working class. Um, I do want to be honest though about like, um, my parents did go to college, right? So, and they went away to college. They were, um, they um, left their family and that's actually where they met in Hermosillo. And so they definitely had this, like, you will go to college and you will go away. Like, it's a good thing to go away from your family. Um, But they had no clue what that meant in the States. No clue. Um, And then I think it's also important to name, this was before the internet. Like I, you know, yeah. I had a computer, I printed my application, but like we had big fat, like 
books where you like supposedly went through to like find out like the little profiles in every college, right? And they were bigger than phone books. And so sometimes I look back and I'm like, how the heck did I figure out the application process? And I really don't really know how I did yeah. that because we didn't have the internet. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crazy. So yeah, so grew up in Tijuana, did up to sixth grade. Then that's uh, when my parents um, moved to the States. And uh, and it's kind of funny because we just moved like 15 minutes away, actually, like like distance wise. But yeah. it's a different world. Like so from Tijuana to Chula Vista and did middle and high school in uh, Chula Vista, big public schools uh, where, yeah, I could like be quiet and people thought I was a good student. Um, and then unfortunately, um, my parents figured out, my mom figured out with my older brother that if you got tracked into English language learner classes, they were not college uh, credit classes. And this is after bilingual ed was out loud in, in California. Yeah. And so basically we sort of faked our way into honors classes. Um, and then it's kind of crazy to me that like, so that was seventh grade I started. And by like 11th grade, I was like doing SATs. So like five years later, five and a half years later, I was like applying to colleges and like writing essays in English and stuff. Um, and there's not much of a trace of like that I learned English in seventh grade, other than that there was this uh, writing sample test that like everybody passed in like eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pass it until like 10th grade or something. And it was so embarrassing because they would like take you out of class to go take the this exam thing. And in the honors classes, like nobody took it because they had yeah. passed it like in whatever. And so it was just like, you know, the short list was like, Eva, you have to go to the cafeteria, take this test. <laughs> um, so that was like one of the only sort of remaining things. Um, Can I stop you really quick? Eva? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop you. Because I, I want to get back to the point where you said, like people have deleted the Tijuana. From your mm-hmm. story, right. And, <clears throat> and I, I love you know, I love it when my guests go go way back and talk about like where they're coming from, because I think that's important. And I I will promise you, I've never deleted the Tijuana from your story because I'll never, I'll never forget Tijuana because I remember I don't know where we were at. I don't know if if it was that fifth year that we were eating. Right. Because you lived in Casa Italiana. Uh huh. And I don't know if we were eating a Caesar salad, but you told me you wanted to point oh, out yes. that the Caesar salad was I invented in Tijuana. And I, re- and I know that because I tell that to everybody that I can. I'm like, did yes. you know? My work here is done. salad was My invented in Tijuana. <laughs> yes. I share yes. that story all the time. All the time. I love it. I love it. Yes, it's true. So, Very true. There's actually kind of a funny story with that. This is a, so there was a Caesar's restaurant, Caesar's, um, on the like um, Revolución, which is like the party street in, um, in Tijuana. Um, so that's where like a Caesar salad was invented and stuff. The restaurant had like come into decay. And now there's this whole, I mean, it's in the news. It's like, it's like a destination place like Tijuana and the, there's a wine region. It's become like really fancy and nice. Um, that one of the families of chefs that is like doing a lot of the new restaurant stuff bought that restaurant and upgraded it. And now it's like a really nice, like upgraded restaurant. Um, yeah. So it's, and, and the reason why he bought it is because <coughs> of the historical importance. So wow. now it's a little bit more known, but yes, as a, as a proud <laughs> uh, Tijuanense, I have to, <laughs> apparently I did my job back in college. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that. What I mean, I, and I love your story that you know you point out right that you, you're you're you figured out or your parents figured out right if you were in, in English language learner classes, it it kept you from a whole right from just opportunity. It was like different opportunity, like opportunities here, and we're not going to allow you to go this way. You're going this way. Oh. Um, yeah, super you know. segregated. Yeah. And even friendships. Wow. Like, I didn't really speak in Spanish to my friends, my high school friends. And it's not like I've reconnected with some of them. Uh-huh. I just reconnected with one who was doing a doctorate, actually. And she, um, her name's Briseida. Right. She clearly spoke Spanish. Turns out her family was also from Ensenada. She was also like spending time because my dad's from Ensenada, which is a little bit south of Tijuana. Um, she would like go there and stuff. We never talked about it because it was this wow. like honors classes, like it's such a essentially white culture. Yeah. That um, although a bunch of Latinos, like it's, it's like it's a lot of Mexican Americans, a lot of Mexicans. And we still there was this like it's an honors environment it's a it's yeah. an honors class like you don't really speak in spanish so, or share stories about it and that's the other thing about growing up in the border on the border and um in an american school is that um there's a lot of um i don't know what to call it but like um so if you well there's the like watchful eye of like whether you have papers or not Mm-hmm. And and in schools, it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. teachers still have their opinions about it. Yeah. And so there was this um, <clears throat> like um, oh, I'm missing the word, but basically this aura of like if you come off as though you're too Mexican or like questions will come up about um, where you live or your papers yeah. or any of that. So it was very clear. Nobody said it to me directly, but things had happened enough that I knew. I just didn't talk about my life in Tijuana, which yeah. meant that there was a whole like, so when you had me do prompts and stuff, I had to make up stuff because if people want to ask me like, you know, write about an essay about your weekend or something. My weekend happened in Ensenada with my family, my tios and everybody. And like, if I'm not supposed to talk about that. Then like, I'm like here dilly dallying about like uh, my house or like making up stuff because yeah. it, it was a informal kind of rule that's like, that stuff you leave at the door and, you know, you don't speak about that, which really sucks. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think a lot of that still happens today. I mean, um, I, I mean, I've heard some familiar stories with my, with my own students and. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there was a beautiful article that I didn't save. And so I kicked myself, but there was a line in there. This woman speaks about, a young woman that speaks about her journey to college and there's this line that she says that the price for admission to that college path was her culture that like she felt like she had to give it up and it's like you leave yeah. it at the door and she said it way more beautifully than but I was like those words just spoke to me because I was like implicitly that's what it was and that's what they yeah. you know implicitly oftentimes the college um, narrative is so intertwined with leaving your home you have to leave and mm-hmm. not come back you're mm-hmm. it's like you're um the there's no difference between poverty and your culture so the the symptoms and the bad things that come with poverty are mexican or are black 
or are, you know, these other things. Yeah. Um, not that like people are doing the best with what they can. There's just such like judginess and, and not seeing um, what's there. No, nothing strength-based, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> not seeing. Um, yeah. Nobody so- cared about like um, my dad's ingenuity or like, you know, like all the things that I'd learned, like in the garage with my dad or like, you know, just like doing things with my mom. My parents are both like big DIY. We were joking about that. Um, I mean, now it sounds fancy DIY, but like, we just didn't have a lot of money. My dad fixed our cars. Like, you know, my mom like made her furniture because we didn't have a lot of money. So like, and they're handy. So they did that. Um, but yeah, it's sort of seen as like, that's, that's, that's learning. That's, those are skills. I learned a lot of really good stuff from both of my parents. In fact, in my literature, um, review for my doctorate, the first quote was from my mom. And that was really important. I wanted to start my literature review with my mom. Cause I was like, she taught me stuff that needs to be in my literature review. If my, uh, capstone is about my leadership, like she's like one of the people that I want to start. Like, that's where I'm starting my quote. Um, but that's, I had to do that work myself to like, I feel like I, I kept like my, my soul and my culture, like protected even yeah. though I wasn't supposed to have it out loud, but I somehow managed it for it not to die and to keep it protected so that like in the end, it like, it didn't die and I can like be my full self. Yeah. Um, but it definitely didn't feel welcomed in a lot of places in a lot of places in academia, unfortunately. You know, I, um, I, I think, you know, my story, right? So my, I, I remember it felt like my parents and I don't think they, I mean, they did it consciously in so much as they, they saw, I mean, in 1960s, 1970s South Texas, if you spoke Spanish, you know, my father said, if you spoke Spanish in his, in his town and where he went to school, you had different teachers. And in his school, it meant you, you had the Spanish speaking teachers and you didn't have the Anglo teachers and the Anglo teachers meant you had opportunity and 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 so for me it was like so my parents didn't speak to me in spanish and i didn't get spanish and so for me it was it was kind of like the opposite like i remember i remember college for me was about recovering like all this culture that i'd never really been exposed to and it was it was like holy crap like why didn't i know this why didn't anybody Mm -hmm. teach me this um and it felt like i sacrificed yeah, I, I sac- my parents sacrificed my culture early on. Like they sacrificed mm-hmm. my culture early. They were like, no. Mm-hmm. And we're, themselves we're, too. They probably yeah. were like me where they had to keep it inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how And does, it's really hard to have it not die. Um, yeah. I credit I, my parents. Um, people sometimes ask me, like, they find it surprising that I speak to my family in Spanish. Like my, I'm home right now. Like my entire yeah. like home, I, we only speak Spanish to each other. Uh-huh. Sometimes I throw in a, an English word. Actually, my college roommate was the first one that taught me Spanglish because I only used to code switch, like full Spanish, full English. I never uh-huh. did code Both. switching together. It wasn't until Angie that she was from Compton, LA, and she was fast. And she literally taught me how to like mix the languages. I hadn't done that before. I thought it was so fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it totally didn't because I, so people are surprised that I speak in Spanish to my parents, but I'm like, why would I like, just because you move houses, you don't speak to somebody differently. <laughs> and so we just kept speaking Spanish in my house. Um, and it's actually very hard for me to speak in English to like say my brother, 
Um, so if we were, even when he went to visit me in college and stuff, like I turn around and I just speak to him in Spanish and of course it makes people nervous or they're like, this whole, like you're talking about me or whatever. Um, but I'm like, because that's the language is so much about relationships and culture. And like I said, it's not just that you didn't have the language skills. It's all the richness of the culture that comes with language. Oh, absolutely. And so similarly, like if I don't have that connect, that my pathway to my brother, to my family, to my brothers um, is Spanish. And mm-hmm. so like, if I didn't have that, I just, I, it would be like, it feels like talking to my brother in a suit or something. Like if I, if I, didn't, <laughs> if I spoke to him in English, I'd be like, how are you? Like, I just, I couldn't do it. I can't, I really struggle with it. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> okay. Um, so you come to the States, you know, you, you, you know, your, your parents, you all, you all figure out the system, how it's set up, right. How it's gamed a little bit. Oh, I totally gained high school. I feel like that's my <laughs> biggest success. Uh, my senior year, my, my proudest thing about high school is that senior year, I figured out, uh, maybe I shouldn't be telling you. I figured out how to take, uh, I had all honors classes mm-hmm. except for PE. So I was getting the five like point credit or whatever. Um, but I only used to show up to, I think one of the classes or something, because I had a lot of independent studies. Uh-huh. Um, so I had a lot of free time <laughs> during my senior year to roam around um, the class, uh, the the school and to do different things. Um, and I was getting credit for it, which was awesome. Yeah. Honors credit for it. <laughs> I, well, and I think like, like the honors kids of it have it figured out. Like they figure yeah. out how to game, game the school. Right. I feel like the honors kids figure out how to game it to their, to their advantage. And the kids, then they're the kids that recognize that the school is all like, has all these faults. Right. But they're just like, I'm just going to rebel against it. And like, right, you know, right. Right. And, and so, but the honors kids have figured it out so much that I, I know it's, I know it's faulty. I know I can game this thing. Right. And I'm going to do it to my advantage. I'm going to do it so that it helps me get into whatever college, wherever it is that I want to go. Okay. So Eva, so how does the girl who immigrates to the United States, you know, in middle school, how do you find yourself at, at Stanford university? <laughs> people always want to do that. Know that I, um, and people ask the question in like really hurtful ways sometimes. You didn't, of course. Um, I used to <laughs> volunteer you. for Stanford alumni when I came back because Stanford used to only do their events in the rich parts of San Diego. And um, I literally like there was a valet at someone's house when I went to admitted like session with my mom and like our car was like beat up and so it was the most embarrassing thing so I used to volunteer for Stanford so just to be a different phase and to and invariably after each each panel student panel there was always the Latino and the black students that would like be like you know they had like hitched you know found a ride or somebody that all like found their way to this thing and they always want to know um I mean partly (laughs) I did not know that I was going to get to Stanford no way no how um and I, um, yeah, I, I still don't really know how I got into colleges. Um, but what I do know is like, I, I've, well, my mom had this, my parents both had this idea. They did not expect straight A's at all. They were just like, you have to do your best. And like, if you do your best and you get like whatever grades, we'll be happy. If you don't 
like if my mom, if she started seeing me watching TV too much, she'd be like, I better not see any grades that don't look good because I know you're not working hard. Yeah. And so it was this like, as long as you do that. And then my mom also believed that um, you had to do extracurriculars. She's just like, she believes in keeping you busy and keeping you learning. And so she, the way she would do it is like, you either do extracurriculars or I have chores for you at home. Like, and so, um, so I did sports a lot. And so I sort of feel like in high school, I, I did everything. I tried to do everything really well. Like I just, you know, so if there was like, you know, I tried to do math, the highest math that was possible. And then they would have us do tests and, and like, get like math awards and things like that. And then I did sports. And so try to do sports as best that you can and um, did a bunch of things. And I think that I remember the Harvard um, interview where he was like, there was, you know, there was, it was paper and it was like, you know, oh, you have things, you do math or you do that. And he was like, you do a lot of different things. You do them well. And he was like surprised. And I was like, I don't know. I just thought I was, I guess it was a little bit of feeling like we didn't have access to a lot of resources and also part of immigrating. It's like, you're here to take advantage of everything. So yeah. I just was like doing everything I could. And yeah. then the other thing I figured out is that in high school, people treat you much better if you have good grades and that's how to get adults off your back. And so it was also my, like, in a weird way, like getting good grades was my F you to adults <laughs> in the school system. Cause I didn't, I learned pretty early on that learning and schooling are not the same thing. And I saw the hypocrisy and yeah, the hack, the hackings, you can, there's a book that's called like how to graduate without learning anything or something like that. <laughs> um, and like, that's what I, I figured out pretty early on. And so I was just like, whatever, I'll do what I need to do so that these adults are out of my hair. Yeah. So that was a little bit, obviously, I mean, there's a part of it that I, I think I just need to acknowledge and know, like there's, um, the way my brain works, like it's easy for me to do some analytical tasks. Um, uh, my parents both uh, were in the sciences. So this idea of like testing and hypotheses and some, some of these like analytical skills are in there and they come easy to me. Like, I think it's, ooh, it's worth saying. Um, I'm a total like learner and not like a school, I not like I hate learning, actually. That's kind of surprising. I mean, I hate reading. It's kind of surprising. I love learning. I hate reading. Um, and so I just, I'm curious. I'm just curious about the world and everything. My parents, um, there's, there used to be this, um, this idea of like that kids are in the why phase, right? When they're like two or three and they're like, why? Why does that happen? The joke with my parents is that I never outgrew that um because they were they was just like she's always asking why and sometimes I wonder like how would I be if I had grown up with the internet because they literally would be like go look it up and we had like an encyclopedia and uh, with some missing letters which my mom hadn't bought that day at the market uh, at the mercado you know like well we didn't have money to buy it that month and so we didn't have like the w or some letters and they would be like look it up like you have questions like go look it up or like if it was physical things my dad would be like figure it out like it apart like figure out and so just this curious I think this curious mind like like gets me into trouble and into good things so that's yeah. a little bit and then the other thing I think the part so that sort of explains the like you know doing well across everything but then you know getting to Stanford and to some of these fancy schools requires you to appear superhuman even though you're not <laughs> um Especially if you don't come from, you know, if your dad isn't a donor. Um, and I think my my claim to fame or my appearance of uh, being superhuman was actually kind of funny because it started with me trying to get out of school. So I was in um, ninth grade and my biology teacher said, 
you can do, I don't know, like three like papers, biology papers, like, or I guess it was two, two semester papers, or you can do one science fair project. And I was like, two for one, sign me up, science fair project, of course. <laughs> and then he added the bonus that, oh, we have these um, college mentors that want to volunteer with you. And if you are interested in that, you sign up and you go on a field trip to go to the college and meet these people. And I was like, two for one, I get out of class and I get to go to on a field trip. Like what else can there be? <laughs> so I did this science fair project with this. Um, oh, and then it was supposed to be about biology, but I was like, I'm interested in psychology and psychology is a study of people and people are part of biology. Therefore you need to let me do a, a psychology uh, science fair project. And I think my teacher was like, I'm not dealing with you. So go ahead, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, and so um, they paired me up with this um, graduate student, this master's student um, that we did this science fair project that like, it doesn't really matter what we did, but she was like, Hey, at the end of our work, she was like, Hey, you're a cool kid. Like you seem like nice. She's like, um, there was a high school student that worked at the lab where I've done I've been working and she said, would you, there's some sort of scholarship, some sort of like early outreach thing. Do you want me to find out about it? So that like, see if you can be a, a summer intern at the lab. Mm -hmm. and, and she's like, I think it's paid. I was like paid summer thing. Of course, sign me up. <laughs> and then at the time, the minimum wage was something like $4 and 25 cents or something like that or seven. And I distinctly remember that when they like told me like about this summer gig, it was paid $5 and 67 cents. So I thought I was rich. I was like, heck yeah. I'm going to like <laughs> intern at this lab and I get paid more while like my friends are working at the mall or like whatever. I was like, heck yeah. So I, I was the only person that worked full time at the psychology lab at San Diego State. And then I did it for three summers. So by the third summer, and you can relate to this, like I was kind of like the most senior than the grad students. And I was hanging out with all these master's level and doctorate students. And I was doing data cleanup at first. I was doing like a, the newsletter to the parents of the study. And then slowly they had me do the data collection and the interviews and the, you know, some of the analysis and all that. And then the professor was really sweet. And he wrote me a very long, very nice letter of recommendation uh, for the work that I had done there. Um, that I wow. think that, that that was one of the things that I think really um, probably impressed Stanford. <laughs> so, you know, a, a lesson to, I think, to parents out there, right? I think certainly, definitely sounds like, like you made the most of every opportunity. Like whatever yes. came your way, you were always thinking about, okay, th this opportunity is obviously better than that one. Let me take advantage of this. And, and like you said, right, mom wanted to keep you busy and keep you learning. I love that. She wanted to keep me busy, keep me learning. So, yeah, I think that's part of like an immigrant mindset. You know, nothing is given. Mm -hmm. And so everything, it's like you have to take advantage of everything because you don't have everything available. And that's why you came to this country is to, to do something better. So that that is that like always looking out. And my mom yeah. and my dad talk about like looking for, you know, doors to open or like, you know, when there's that moment that you're ready. Yeah. Um, so definitely that. And then I think it's important. And the part of the reason why I am laughing and I'm honest about my story is like, I think it's important to not scrub out the teenager out of the story. Like I was not no model, like 
perfect kid and a compliance was not my thing. <laughs> um, I wasn't, when you were talking about high schoolers who like sort of hack the system and stuff. Yeah. Thank goodness. Like the ones that hack it and keep their soul. There's a lot of young people that do it because they think that's the right thing to do. And, yeah. and they feel like their whole sense of self, if, if you don't, then you're a bad person or a bad human. And unfortunately the whole college thing is set up as this, like you win if you go to college and everything else is booby price and everything else is like this sort of bad thing. Like I remember my friends that went to community colleges, there was, there was sometimes like the shame and stigma around like, Oh, you didn't go to college or something. And, um, and that that's just, that's a farce. Like, um, and maybe that's a good transition to like post-college life. Like one of the things that I've learned, I used to have a lot of anxiety about the, what do you want to be when you grow up question? Like a lot. I hate it. I hate it. And then the Stanford people had great answers. (laughs) Um, and I hate it. Maybe you were one of them. Um, I didn't have, no, I didn't have a great answer. I had no idea. And now I feel like it was all a freaking myth. It was a lie. It's a total lie. Like that's yeah. what you're saying. Like there is no path. There are few people in the world. I love to like see the math, but it's like, there's some people who know they want to be doctors and they become doctors. And now they're like neurosurgeons or something. Yeah. Right. And they went down that linear path. Most of us have multiple careers. We have no idea how the dots connect and we are making up as we go. And there's dead ends and, and things. And then the other thing is like, sometimes the American dream, there's this, uh, meme about like the american dream is pyramid scheme like that's kind of true like there's there's this idea that like if you do all these things you're supposed to go to college and then when you go to college you're supposed to go to grad school and as though everybody wants to be a college professor no offense to you (laughs) but like that's not what everybody wants and that's not what the world needs and so like why shame people that went like the trade route or why like we need really good electricians we need really good mechanics we need like everybody to do really good at whatever they're doing to contribute to society and so i'm really against that kind of shaming and the flip side i've also seen like some of my friends that did do this like you know that linear path and then they get to be x amount of years and they're like i still don't know why i'm doing what i'm doing or i don't have a sense of self yeah um so it's it's not it's honestly, it feels a little bit like the like romantic happily ever after that, like the idea that you find your partner and then you get married and everything's all like wonderful and great. Like yeah. it's not the same. Like I th- sometimes it feels like we sell college as that, like. Oh, we absolutely. Prince no, we Charming. Don't. Yeah, and, we like, don't. Yeah. Yeah, we everything's don't. Everything's all great. We don't sometimes do that. I think we do that. And, and I think like for me, it was important to do the podcast one, because I, I like if kids want to go to college, I want to be able to help them. If I can help them, yes. If I can be a resource, if I can mentor some kids, if I can give kids information, right? But I also want kids to just relax mm-hmm. and, and, and remind them, reassure them that it's okay that you don't have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's unrealistic to expect an 18 and 19 year old to have it figured out. Because I think most adults don't have it figured out. And it's not something to figure out. It's it's not, sounds cliche about like, you know, it's not the destinations of journey, but like, okay, so if you figured out, then what? You lay down and like try to, like you're done with life? Like, no, yeah, it's, no. it's this constant creation of like yourself. You're continuing to develop yourself as a human, like who you are. You're developing it throughout 
your teenage years and then moving on and then you reinvent yourself and it continues to grow. And so there is, which is why I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like there is no being as one static thing and there is no destination to get to that that is grown up and then you're done. Um, It's all evolving and it's all, I don't know, for me, that's the fun in life. Like that I get to recreate myself and, and to do that. And then my, my career like I ended up changing jobs for a while, basically every three years. Um, so was, um, I wanted to do stuff that was super tangible after Stanford. There was a lot of people at Stanford that wanted to start things and they wanted to like um, entrepreneurship in the Bay Area is obviously a big deal. And they wanted to lead things and they wanted like, there's this like things that sounded super highfalutin and like abstract to me. And I was like, I have been given a lot. And, and I also, I couldn't deal. Like I sometimes describe Tijuana and San Diego have literally two walls that separate them. Uh, in my lifetime, it's gone from one wall to two to three actually. And, um, and so there's this huge chasm in cities that actually touch each other. Like people sometimes ask me how far one is from the other. They touch each other. There's literally a wall and they touch each other. people's backyards bump up to the, um, to the wall. And so there's this huge chasm, but I honestly felt the same size of chasm between Chula Vista working class, like big high school and Stanford and like wealth, like W like capital W wealth. And so the only way I could make sense of that was like, I gotta get back. And I was like, I, I was not cool with like, Hey, you got the golden ticket, like renounce your family and, and you know, everywhere that you came from. And now you're special and buy into this lie that you're special and that you like should be given these privileges and go live somewhere else. I was like, I, I can't be complicit in that. So hmm. I wanted to come back and do something real. And I got the, the gift of being a social worker. Um, for three years and working with families um, about just seeing just about every issue and every problem that's um, that the schools don't aren't equipped to deal with. And then they would send them to us because we are school based. Um, so I got to do that. Then I worked uh, at a charter school uh, with mentorship and tutoring programs um, and volunteers and parents and all that. Um, and then I did consulting. Well, I thought I was going to be a school counselor. Um, I was sort of done. I felt like I was doing a lot of school counseling without getting paid. I got paid less than a school counselor. A school counselor doesn't get paid a lot, but I got paid less. And so I was just going to, just going to do a master's because I swore I wasn't going to do school. I did the co-term too, only to graduate and never go back to college. That was why I did not want to go back. But then I decided that I needed a, a degree. So then I started this counseling degree. And then that's where I first had, I had my first Latino mentor professor and he lived in Chula Vista and he was doing studies about Latinos and he was doing improvement work where we listened to, he had this way of doing focus groups to listen to what students wanted and needed and turn that into school success programming, like mm-hmm. stuff that you do at the college. And I was like, what? That's magic. Like you listen to students, you put it in a PowerPoint and the adults listen. Like, what is that? Like, teach me how to do that. Uh-huh. And that's how I got down the path of using data for improvement and coaching adults on improvement. I never thought I would leave doing direct service with families and teenagers because I like them better than adults. But then I was like, <laughs> oh, adults like have a lot of say in the system. And if I can like figure out how to work with them, then like that makes a difference. And then he and that professor was like, 
he used to say to me, no one's going to listen to Ms. Mejia. They're going to listen to Dr. Mejia. And he used yeah. to like show me around and say, this is, she's going to get a doctorate. She just doesn't know it yet. Yeah. And so he sort of ushered me back on that path. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up applying to PhD programs in my late twenties, which again, I had swore it off from school because I, I really don't like school. It doesn't seem that way, but I don't like it. <laughs> um, and so that's how I ended up um, doing uh, the doctorate and then, you know, the work, the strategy work that I do now. Um, but yeah, none of that was linear. <laughs> and it was all like, yeah, all these different kind of one-offs. Yeah. I was talking to my cousin yesterday and saying like, cause she's facing some career decisions. And I was saying that there's this thing that feels paradoxical where it's like, it's not one decision that sort of makes it a break. Cause there's this anxiety of like, Oh my God, had I not met that professor, had I not applied yeah. to that thing. Yeah. And so it's not like one thing makes it or breaks it. It's like, calm down. Like we said, like, just be yourself. Like, and at the same time, yes, there are these openings that like suddenly change your trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both. It's like, don't, freak out about like getting FOMO and like, Oh my God, I'm going to miss, or I have to try everything and I have to do everything. Um, but yes, prepare yourself and look for those things that align that like, you know, watch your own energy. Like, where do you get excited? Where do you lean in? Where are you like staying up? Where do you do things for fun as opposed to this is an assignment I have to do. Yeah. (sighs) You, um, so typically we go slowly through. <laughs> you took us all the way through. But I, 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 um, the thing I love about the podcast is my parents I, didn't call me platicona as a kid for nothing. <laughs> typically I just let my guests talk. I, uh, I often tell my students, and it's different now because because of, of the pandemic, we're doing online learning. But I always tell them the first day of class, I said, "This is the most you're going to hear me talk." in one class session. I said, cause I, I want to hear from you. All. I don't want to talk a lot. And, uh, and that's what I love about the podcast is I love to hear. And, and for me, it's always, I always feel like even with the guests that I know, well, I always learn something. There's something that I didn't know and there. Um, so thank, thank you for, for just kind of, for sharing that, sharing all of the stories and all of the insight. Um, I would like to go back a little bit though, because I think mm-hmm. like, I think, yeah, you definitely hit on a lot of important things. Right. And, and the work that you're doing now, the work that you've done, the work that kind of has your path, right. Definitely not linear, but <clears throat> in college, I remember, well, kids have always been important to you. Haven't mm-hmm. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, like, so I, t- I've, I think I've ch- shared this with some of my guests. I think I want to write a book about this experience, like the podcast experience, and just talking to people because, like, there there are certain themes that that have popped up, and I didn't do it looking for this. Like one, people always talk about networks, and they always talk mm. about like the people that they meet, and so. I appreciated that you talked that you talked about your professor. It's when the relationships I, and those apprenticeships. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I mean, I'm not trying to do a plug for the place where I work now, but that's the the high schools are based on that idea of apprenticeship. And absolutely. that you need those relationships. People that and we talk about like it's not just 
sometimes networking becomes this like business school, like transactional thing, yeah. but it's really relational. It's somebody that knows you, mm-hmm. knows what you know, and knows where you're trying to go. And also that other professor, both of those professors, actually, they saw a larger vision for me than I saw. I I didn't see Dr. Makia. Yeah. I didn't see I would get into, I, I was no, I didn't think I was, I would have, Every time I applied to schools, like I would have bet money that I wasn't going to get accepted. The only reason why I applied to these fancy schools was because of a sense of like pride or sort of like I work so hard. Like I want to know. I want a rejection letter, damn it. Like I want to know that I didn't get into Harvard. It's the only time in my life where I'm going to know. And then it turns out Harvard sends you like a certificate if you get accepted. It's like kind of weird. So I really did it as almost like a dare. I was yeah. like, I'm going to find out. I work too hard. This is the only time I'm going to get to know. It's like, um, so I had no clue, but it's, it's partly because the people that gave me those opportunities saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And unfortunately there are less of those around for folks in poverty, people of color, like, yeah. you know, there are less of those mentors that know those paths to your point and that can see that future and that, you know, I might, you know, I look like a normal kid in a hoodie but they saw that somebody could be a doctor. I'm actually yeah. learning how to do so actually not, not much changed, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you get the point. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, I, you know, so many of my students, they, they get there and I get them the first year and they're like, I, I just want to graduate. I just want to graduate. Just give me, I want to graduate. Let me take, tell me what I need to take. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I tell them, to tell them about like I, I I make them create these like pathways and identifying the classes that they're going to take but then leaving spaces for like I want you to apply for internships here I want you to do this I'm going to require you to come visit me in office hours because I want to have a relationship with you and I want you to do that with another professor um, because I know how like important that is and and I think from these interviews that's one of the constant themes. Everybody talks about relationships. The last person I interviewed said every single job I've gotten was because of a connection, was because of somebody that I met somewhere, whether it was in, in school or in job or something. And then the other thing, um, I, so I wanted, um, the other thing is, is that I, that I, as I listen to people, there are these themes like, I feel like we all have a theme, right? And maybe themes, are like a terrible word for it. But I listen to you and I know your story. I know your story well. And I remember when you were a social worker, because I think, I remember definitely when you were working on your master's, because I was commuting to Austin. And on mm-hmm. my drive to San Antonio, I'd often call you, um, right? To keep me up, because I was driving mm-hmm. like at 10 o'clock yeah, at night. Yeah, right? a long drive. Let me call, let me call Emma. California, yeah. Yeah, I was like, Emma, up, Emma's going to be up. Awake. Let me call Emma. And, and so I, I feel like, like we have these, these themes, these, it's, it's not, it's there, they can be broad, right? But there's kind of like, they're, they're these connectors. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for you, it's kids. Like it, it involves kids in some way, whether it's the mm-hmm. social work, whether mm-hmm. it was, it was body assistance, right? Like, I, like you, I mean, there were a couple of people that were doing it, but I remember, you know, at Stanford, when I thought of, about BA, I thought of you. You were the like one of the faces of mm-hmm. that organization. 
Yeah. And that was a tutoring program that we used yeah. to run. Yeah. Yeah. For wow. sure. Kids are uh, fascinating to me. Um, why, they're just why, fun. Why are they well, so- first I'm a, uh, I come from a big family and I was, uh, uh, around the oldest of the cousins. Like it was in the mm-hmm. first couple of cousins. I'm not the oldest, but, um, so I was around babies since I stopped being a baby. Um, and, and their caretaking and, and just around. And then a, a big part of my, um, or a big milestone was, um, I have a younger brother that's 10 years younger than me. So I got to see him grow up and, and I got to care for him and I got to just really see him develop and like this fascinating little like human just grow up and learn all these things. And so kids and babies, like actually my two favorite ages are, ages where there's a lot of development and growth it's the early childhood and teenagers because you can like see them develop before your eyes it's like a time lapse like they just like little babies have a nephew who's two now and like one week to the next like he discovers new things and that joy of discovery is there and that's back to like my curiosa side it's like oh my god they're my peers they love to learn stuff they get you know they're in that porque phase and so um maybe i identify with them um and when you see that beauty in in kids like that, and then you see that schooling is designed to kill that out of them, and and that it's happening more to people that have your skin color, like you can't just sort of say, okay, I'm going to go my corporate way and have a job that way. Like yeah. to me, it's a crime that we waste the beauty and talent and brilliance of so many young people. Um, and that we don't foster that. And so yeah. I'm like, let's do that. Um, so that's that's how I got into working with kids and young people. It's like, I just like really think they're fascinating. I learn. Yeah. Teenagers, yeah. oh my God, they keep you on your toes and you learn so much. <laughs> and they tell you you're old and they show you every way in which you're not, um, you don't have integrity. But they also are so loving. And if you know to how they communicate like they they just appreciate and in some ways like as adults we do such a bad job sometimes with teenagers that even showing like they have a really low bar for adults unfortunately like if you're like halfway not a jerk they're so appreciative like if you can be a mentor like it's kind of easy to be a mentor to a young person like you just have to basically allow them in invite them in pay attention to you know what they're into and yeah. they they're so appreciative of it and i mean they're not yes they will be appreciative with an eye roll and like staring at their phone sometimes like it's not i'm not saying that you're going to get like heart letters the way that like an elementary school kid does it right it looks very different um but getting back to your point about like the the themes and stuff i think um i think it's totally true and i and that was actually a good turning point for me because uh-huh. I told you I used to have such anxiety about the what do you want to do when you grow up question. When somebody helped me to figure out that that was the wrong question for me and she gave me the freedom to be like, that's just the wrong question for you. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, then what is the right question for me? Like if I don't have to like kind of shrivel down when that question comes up and I get to come make my own question. And what I realized that what serves, what works for me is that I'm mission oriented. So my mission, the thing that pulls me is like to help kids continue to develop that brilliance and especially kids from low-income households, kids, you know, black and brown kids to like 
actually get to contribute in, in, in the world with that brilliance, like that's, that's mission. And that's the thing. And, um, and then I know a couple of things about myself that help me sort of guide what role I'll play towards that mission. So yes, I love young people. I love families. Um, I'm a total learner and curiosa. Like I have to be somewhere where like there's this creative problem solving. So the other thing about like not growing up with a lot of money is like you had to get creative. You had to like, you know, when I went to Harvard, they call it like entrepreneurism and these fancy like what's the social entrepreneurship and all these fancy things. And I'm like, that's just called making do where I come from. Like ingenuity, like Mexican ingenuity is a thing. And like we, we like hacks, like before life hacks and before like hacker culture, like people in third world countries been hacking for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been like, yeah, like, you know, connecting things that aren't connected and getting cable off of like, you know, sharing Netflix passwords uh, in different ways. It's just looked <laughs> down on as like a bad thing. Um, and so that's, that's, that's in me, like that creative problem solving is part of the talent and the brilliance that I bring in. And so those are, that's me. That's who I am. Those are sort of like my tools that I continue to sharpen and those become the through line um, and the job title or the place where I work that can vary. Yeah. And I love that. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's what we need to ask kids, like encourage them, like, you know, something, something like that. Like, what is your mission? Like, so that it's, it is this broad thing. Like you can do, and you know, I, I always, I always encourage my students, like, just because you, you didn't get into the nursing program doesn't mean you can't help people. Doesn't mean you can't mm-hmm. work in medicine. Doesn't mean you can't, you know, um, just because you 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 majored and you you got a teaching certificate doesn't mean that's all you can do. Um, there are a lot of jobs in education, you know, and I um, and so I you know I I love that. I love that. You know, you're mission oriented. What is your mission? I love that. And I would say that if you had asked me when I was younger, I would have also been super scared to say mission because that also sounds so corporate and like. You know, mission is like something. See, so I would say the the young person version of that, and um, and again, I'm not trying to plug big picture learning, although I really like love it, and you know, I'm part of it. Um, <laughs> but that one of the key projects that that young people do is is called the Who Am I Project. Mm-hmm. So it's like even before it's like it's just like who are you and who are mm-hmm. you today, and that's going to continue to develop. Mm-hmm. And then the next question, not quite mission, but it's like what do you care about? Like mm-hmm. what. And sometimes when you're a teenager, it's more like, what are you pissed about? Like, what mm-hmm. do you think, like, what's not right? What doesn't, mm-hmm. and for me, that was like, it's not right that I got some golden ticket and I'm fed this lie that I'm special. When I know I sat in classrooms with other young people that were like more talented than me, I went to a school that was for the creative and performing arts. And so there is like very artistic, talented people that I think were talented in, in their own ways and in different ways. And it's like, why, why do I get a golden ticket? And why am I suddenly supposed to accept this lie that I'm more special than others? And that just, that wasn't right with me. And so that's partly why I, I did what I did. The other part, to be honest, about why I worked with kids is I told you I was around kids all the time. Uh-huh. I got to Stanford and it was this wonderful, yeah, it was this golden ticket kind of place. But it was also super weird for me because I grew up in, in a super intergenerational family. And so while on the one hand, it's like, great, all these like people my age. And also like, that's weird. Where are the kids? Where are the elders? <laughs> like, 
And then, you know, none of my professors look like me. The only people that look like me are the people in the cafeteria and the people in the gardens. And so it, doing the touring program in some way was like to have a sense of normalcy, yeah. like outside of the bubble and like, oh yeah, kids. So it was actually just, it started by feed, feeding just a very basic, like, I can't deal with everybody being the same yeah. age. And the most of the only Latinos, adult Latinos yeah. were in the cafeteria and, and, and fixing the very nice manicured gardens at San <laughs> Eva, you've, um, we could probably talk for hours, but I know you've had a long day. I don't know if people would listen for hours. We would have fun. But Su- surprisingly, <laughs> I, you know, when I was putting the podcast together, I think like my first episode was maybe like 20, 30 minutes. And, and then I just kind of wanted to let people talk. So they've run around an hour and they they go about an hour, maybe a little more. There are podcasts out there that are like two hours and like three hours. I don't know how they do it. Um, but I know, yeah, I know you and I, we could, we could, I mean, that's what we always did, right? We'd have these long mm-hmm. talks, like long conversations. But I also know, I also want to recognize it. You've had a long day. <laughs> phone calls all day. And, and, and so I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to, to join me on the podcast. If, if there's one thing you wanted to leave the listeners with before we sign off, what would that be? Um, probably that there's nothing wrong with you. Like there's nothing wrong with you we're not broken because we come from places that have names like Tijuana we're not broken and have to fix because our parents didn't have a lot of money or because we went through hard stuff in life or things that happened to us or anything or even if or because those things didn't happen to you and you're worried that the high school essay is about some big challenge and you don't feel like you had a big challenge like there's nothing wrong with any of us and starting from a place of that there's nothing wrong that it's more, my parents always say like college is a place that um, pule um, diamonds. So it's like, you don't create the diamond, you like, you shine the the jewel. Mm-hmm. And so you already are a jewel. You're working on shining yourself and developing yourself in whatever way. But it, it starts from that you already are a special person in this world. And the journey is just figuring out how to use your talents for good, I would say, um, and not for evil. Um, but we're not fixing anything. There isn't anything to be fixed. And yeah, I mean, some of us have trauma and stuff that we've gone through and there's stuff to like develop and work on. I'm not saying that, but there's nothing fundamentally flawed in any of us. Beautifully said. Thank well. you for having me. And most importantly, like, thank you for doing this work and this project. And I, I did really mean it. Like I, I do wish I had had this podcast or heard this um, because there was a little bit of bravado as a high schooler of like, yeah, I'm doing all these things, but like, no idea that like my whole life, like I do things despite a fear, but like I'm freaked out the whole time. Like, I have had no, like sometimes people tell me I come off as confident. I'm like, no way. Like I'm freaking out on the inside. Always every big decision and all that. So I think that, like opening it up and busting some of these myths and doing the work that you're doing and 
there's there's a reason why you know all these amazing people and it's because you yourself are so amazing and you're such a um it's like a moth to light you know like you're this light that people are attracted to and that they are willing to share so just credit to you and your work and and thank you for doing that thank you people know what a gift it is and what a gift you are for you know as much as i was proud of tijuana i definitely know about valley because of you (laughs) head coach elsa i would not know head coach elsa if it wasn't for you and i when it comes up i'm like oh yeah i know that (laughs) oh well thank you it means a lot before we before we sent off you know i tell my students because my students will ask me like if you weren't doing this job what would you do and i said um I said, I think the perfect job for me would be just having co- like, you know, Larry King passed right a couple months ago, or whatever. I said, I think I'd love That's that a job opening there. Yeah. I said, I would love, I just love talking to people. I said, I love, I said, I love learning about people and hearing their stories and sharing stories. I, and so I like, I've been plugging my podcast a little bit, just telling like, like, you know, I've learned so much and it's just such an opportunity. I said, and and so like with my students, I love sitting down with them. And I, you know, like I said, I asked them to come visit with me and I said, give me 15 minutes. And it's always, the meetings are always longer than 15, but I love, I just love talking to people. I love people's stories. Um, that might be the next chapter for you. <laughs> we'll see. Even those that grow up to be college professors is not the end or the all. <laughs> well, and like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. This, this was never in my plans. And I didn't, because I didn't know what, what those plans were. And um, you're not done. And I'm not done. We're not done. We're not yeah. done. Doctor, Dr. Eva Mejia. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the way to Puck college podcast. Um, this concludes another episode of the way to college podcast. So thank you to all of our listeners out there. Please share the podcast and we will see you next time. You all have a good night.